up, everyone? This is the Jack of One Trade podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Woodington, and I'm joined here today by published author and Thomas Nelson professor, Mrs. Janice Hoffman. It's so awesome to have you here today. One of the topics I wanted to talk about today was writing and the process of writing, what inspires you to write, um, because I know that you're a published author. Um, it's, it's really awesome to have you here on our podcast today. Thank you, Morgan. It's so nice of you to think of me. I really appreciate that you thought of me and invited me, and I'd love to share whatever you would like and just encourage people to write and, and read. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember um, being in your class a little while back, actually a couple couple months back. It's, it's been a while, but you used to have a, a lot of um, sessions and such where you would show poetry and writing and I just thought it was really great because it allows students to not only express themselves but you were also able to show some of the, the things that you have written in the past as well um, and if you'd like to I would love if you would talk about some of the books that you have written and published. Well, thank you I, I, I will let me I'll start with I brought let me see this one it's called soul cookies i have to make sure people don't think it's a cookbook <laughs> so it's, it's the poetry of janice hoffman but this was i'm one of those people i think so many people just about everybody has a book in them and um but we never do anything with it so a few years ago i got to thinking you know i'm older now so my time i don't have as much time as i used to so it's now or never and so i collected uh some of my uh, favorite poems that I'd written over the years and uh, have them in a collection and, and uh, submitted it, um, had some endorsements and, and submitted it to um, uh, a publishing company, a legitimate publishing company. And I was thrilled that they accepted it. Uh, and so it's called Soul Cookies. And it's basically, it's primarily free verse poetry. Uh, it has a little bit of uh, traditional poetry with the rhymes and all that. But that was just uh, really fun to write and just kind of, um, you know, one of those dreams you have. And so I thought right. about that done. So I was happy about that. And that was a couple of years ago. That winter, I love little kids. And so... Uh, I have these, when I was a little girl, my mom told me all these stories about fairies. And so as I'll share a little bit later, but as you know, I've had some, some dark events in my life. So the fairies help, um, uh, they're the lighter side. They're kind of therapeutic. And so I have a fairy book called Four Fairy Friends. Let me show you my, oh. little, my little friends and notice they're multicultural. Okay. I have, uh, all my different fairies, and they become these real little creatures in, in my head, <laughs> in my head. Like the first one is, let's say, they're not in order, but that's Poppy, and that's Dally, and that's Nutmeg, and that's Rose, and they become these real little characters in my head. But the artwork, uh, my uh, illustrator just did a wonderful job with the artwork. Oh, so yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's so it was pretty. Fun. Well, what I wanted to do, I got to thinking about how they were multicultural and, and I wanted to reach out to other, uh, you know, all kinds of little kids. And so my husband is a retired high school administrator, but he's also a retired Spanish teacher. So he translated the fairy book into Spanish. So I oh, have- Oh, that's awesome. Isn't that neat? I love it. It's Cuatro Amigas Adas. And- it's every, it's actually it's bilingual because it still has the English in it, but it has the Spanish side by side. But unfortunately, these two came out 
and the and the third one. Let me pull this one up. This is just an accompanying coloring book, and it's uh, the publisher came up with uh, this as you know something to, for the children. It's it's had a really good response, except COVID. When I had two years ago, when Soul Cookies came out, I had a wonderful book tour in Virginia, Indiana, Kentucky, and it was just really a wonderful event, and I loved it. Uh, but um, this last year, the pandemic shut things down, so the publishers working with us on some more creative ways to market things, um, and that's why I'm thankful for this podcast. I can let people know about it. I have another uh, collection of poetry that I'm working on for next year. I have a Christmas fairy book uh, ready for this winter. But what I, what recently came out was Azaleas in October. And this is the one I was telling you about. The subtitle of this is Surviving the Loss of a Child to Suicide. Uh, because 10 years ago, we lost our son to suicide. And initially, writing... Um, was so therapeutic for me because I would just write and write and write and uh, uh, it really helped a lot. And so then when I got to the point uh, where sometimes, you're never the same. So you're never like, okay, I'm well now. No, my son is gone forever. Yeah, uh, things change forever after something like that. Exactly. There's a new normal. But, but I want to encourage other people, other uh, mothers who've lost children, uh, other people, uh, people who have lost a loved one to suicide or by any means, any kind of tragic means, uh, that you can have hope for the future. You just have a new, a, a different life, but you can go beyond surviving. You can, what I want this to do is to help other people, to give them hope. But the, the beginning's pretty raw. And then toward the end, I hope to give hope. Is it, you want to read one out of here? Yeah, that would be great. And I can't even tell you just speaking about that, hearing you speaking about that, how much a book like that means to people. Um, and I, I mean, it would mean something to people years ago and years into the future as well, but especially right now, because so many people have lost family members because of COVID and had to deal with these changes. And as you mentioned, the new normal yeah. without that person there. I appreciate you saying that because it's true. Their um, suicide rate is up. Uh, it was already terrible, <laughs> and and now it's up because of COVID. And you know, if people have hope, you know, they can hang on because this will change. Everything changes, uh, but it's just when you're in the middle of it. And you mentioned uh, people losing people to COVID. I lost my brother this past I'm fall, uh, last summer in August to COVID. He had cancer, but um, he uh, contracted COVID, and, and that's what killed him. Uh, took him out sooner than uh, we thought it would be. And so it is, it's hard. But um, I want to read one in near the end. Um, Azalea's in October. This is just a chapbook. A chapbook is just a small collection. It's not, you know, like a regular book. It's just yeah. a, maybe, you know, 18 or 20 poems, something like that. No, you said and that's that, called um, a chapbook. Oh, uh, I see. Chapbook, okay. Because yeah. I've heard of novellas before, but I don't know if that's just a fantasy type book thing. Or... No, a novella is just a small little um, piece of fiction. And the chapbook can be fiction or it can be poetry. Of course, mine's poetry. But a uh, uh, chapbook is just like a really smaller edition of, of a larger piece, I guess. Or it actually can stand alone. But what I chose uh, to read for you here is the title of the book is Azaleas in October. 
And the title of this poem is Azaleas in October. So I'll read that. Oh, well, first I'll tell you that we knew, of course, our son was suffering with a lot of medical conditions and emotional issues and that he was depressed and and I was very, very uh, concerned that this would happen. And, you know, you try to stop it. But sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. But the week that he died, I remember looking out the front window. And it was October of 2011. And the zellia bushes had bloomed again. But they usually are like right now in, you know, March, April, May and all that. Sometimes in the summer. But it was October. And so... I just was struck by that. I don't know why. I guess because I'm a, a poet and a write and images, you know, sometimes. Yeah, but I mean, it came became something symbolic to you as well. Like you connected it with what had happened. I did. I did. Yeah. So, so I'll read this. It does have an essay at the end about walking through the grief with, and it has some resources too to help people. But the one of the not the last, but one of the last poems. Azaleas in October. When they left, I looked out and they, I'm sorry, would be the, the two police officers and the chaplain who came to the house. Okay. When they left, I looked out the window and saw our azalea bush was again in full bloom. And this line burned in my mind. The year our son died, our azaleas bloomed again in October. I stared and memorized the irony. I know our azaleas will bloom again in the spring, but I will, will remember October. For the rest of my life, I will remember October. And each October, when others celebrate 1492 and discoveries, I will mourn your precise decision, your violent departure, that you did it your way. But now, I must celebrate you like we do all the others who leave us behind. So I pray for redemption to be thankful in the midst of mourning. Your ashes rest on our Virginia bookshelf, but your eyes give sight to two strangers. Your bones give healing, your tendons grant strength, and your skin saves burn victims. I look to the skies and am thankful for the color blue, your favorite. I'm on a pilgrimage to find appreciation, thankful for your love, thankful for your last texts. Thankful for Azalea's in October. So um, that's, you know what I always like to do after I do that serious one? Let me go to Soul Cookies because okay. I have, I like to, I like to show um, a variety, you know, not just everybody's all sad and, you know, we all have these events. We all have, um, you know, where we have life and joy and we have death and sorrow but so after i do something that's sad i, I want to share something funny so this is one that i usually don't rhyme but uh i thought this was funny because now that i'm older you know so this is <laughs> now that i'm old i once was young and thin and tall this was before cataracts after all but now i'm short and fat and old with several fake parts if truth be told a defibrillator controls my heart. My CPAP helps my lungs restart. I also find it quite ironic that titanium hips now make me bionic. But if there's hope somewhere to be found, 
it's then I'm still on top of the ground. So there, <laughs> there's a little bit of variety there. Yeah, it's a very nice dynamic between the, the two poems as well. Isn't that life though? We, we have joy, we have sorrow, and it's that, I know it's a cliche, but it's true, that roller coaster of life, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, your, your first poem was very, very touching and has a lot of, a lot of meaning to it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was, it was very therapeutic for me to write. The, um, uh, you know, there's counseling, there's medicine, there are people have their faith, there are groups, there are, you know, there's all these, <clears throat> excuse me, all these different avenues we have to help us through things like this. But for me, and I, I tried a little bit of all of them, but for me, what really helped was the writing. It was therapeutic just to, to pour my my, I mean, I'm a mother who lost her child, to pour my consuming grief onto pages just to deal with it somehow, because it was so hard to talk about. Um, that So I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and I typed and I wrote and I typed, and then later, you know, I came back and kind of pulled some of it together, but it's therapeutic. Writing is helpful. It really helps. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so kind that you chose to take everything that you wrote to out of a product and the sorrow and emotions that you were feeling and turn it into something that other people can see because I really think when people are going through tough times like that, just seeing that they're not alone makes a huge difference. And it's a little thing, but it really does make a huge difference in people's lives. You, you hit on it right there that you're not alone, that somebody else understands, um, you know, it's you're right what you said is exactly right and that's what i want i want to do i want to encourage other people either they're not alone or that they'll survive that they can smile again uh i even had a lady in pennsylvania who um emailed me and said <coughs> excuse me she hasn't experienced anything like this but she said when she read it it made her uh want to be a better listener so yay <laughs> you know so if it can help anybody in any way i'm happy yeah that's wonderful one of the questions that i i wanted to ask you is actually about your writing process when, when you sit down to write i know you touched on that a little bit but when you sit down to do your writing do you typically have to prep beforehand like do you have to get your tea brewing and get the music on in the background or can you just kind of sit down as inspiration hits you and stare under that intimidating blank page and put some words out onto right. it yeah we can go through those moments where it's like i have nothing i have nothing page is blank but um unlike a lot of people who set aside time my life is so busy and so full so too full uh because i'm still teaching and i'm in member of poetry groups and um uh, i edit the uh newsletter for the Poetry Society of Virginia, and I just have, and then my family, of course, just a lot going on, so I don't set time aside, however, I try to stay open to inspiration, sometimes it might just be something I see, like one time I was driving, this was a few years ago, I was just driving through town, and over on the side of the road, there was this black crow, I remember it was October, it was in the fall, because the leaves were turning, but this crow was wallowing around in the grass and it just, that image struck me. So I ended up writing a, a poem with four stanzas and the crow began in the fall and then I had three other birds, one for each stanza. And uh, 
I wrote this poem, and then it was published in uh, what was it, Snowy Egret, I think, which is a literary magazine, a nature literary magazine, and then it was, I think I had it in my book too. So sometimes it's just something I see. Sometimes it's like with my son, it was the emotions and the, the thoughts racing through my, my brain and everything. Sometimes it's an idea. Sometimes it might just be a word. Like, I like words, <laughs> and um, there'll be a word that will just stick in my mind. And I'll just go off and do something with that. Or it might be an event, um, like a birth. I wrote one recently about the birth of my grandson, who's now your age. <laughs> but I remember that. Uh, uh, and so I, I tied in some uh, some things about um, oh, like Aquarius and all that. And I'm not you know, into all that, however, I'm the horoscopes. Yeah. yeah. But, but I do tie in like some mythology and, and things like that. So, you know, you can be inspired by anything, you know, I can be looking at my dog sleeping. I have one, we have two labs and one barks in his sleep. And I think that's hysterical, but things like that, you know, what's he, what's he thinking? What's he dreaming? And, and all that. So it could be, I mean, just anything. Um, very, I guess I'm weird. I'm very susceptible to uh, images and, and ideas and, and words and things. And so when something like that happens, I will just like jot it on a piece of paper. And then I might have a, a list of things. And then I'll come and sit down and put it in the file. I'll type it. And uh, I might develop a poem at that time, or I might um, come back to it later. And oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But when, if, if I will write it and then type it, I have that image so that I don't forget it because pictures really speak to us, you know, visual, concrete imagery. Um, and so if I can keep that fresh, then I can write about it some more. But then after the inspiration and the writing, then there's the work. That's the fun part. <laughs> then it's the editing and the revising and do I want a different word or, you know, this line's too long, it needs to be shorter or all that you know all that kind of thing and then after i'm finished with all of that then it's like marketing now what do i do do i just enjoy it let it sit on my computer do i send it to a literary magazine do i save it for a book what am i going to do with it you know i think this poetry needs to be shared and and i just found out not too long ago that there's a, a big insurgence a resurgence of poetry these days um I think, is it Amanda Gorman? Is that her name? The, the young youth poet laureate that read at the, uh, the inauguration recently. Um, so that's helped a lot of people become more aware of poetry. Songwriters, you know, my students. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody. One thing that I absolutely believe is that inspiration is contagious. I think that we for me, and like you said, sometimes inspiration is random. Like you see a rock and you're like, suddenly I want to write about yeah. the mountains in Virginia. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's really random, but sometimes it's it's just contagious because you see people that have written and made pictures and wrote books and movies and such on inspirational topics. And it just inspires you to do something similar. You are so right. There are, I have a few favorite contemporary poets and 
I like to read a lot of poetry. I don't have time to read much. I think it's another thing I like about poetry. You know, you have a little snippets instead of like a 300 page book. Yeah. <laughs> these little soul cookies. That's why I call it soul cookies. These little, these little morsels here. And there are a few people that when I read their poetry, it really inspires me. So I'll keep a notebook and I'm not plagiarizing. I'm not copying what they say, but they inspire me about a similar uh thing event or image or something so yeah it's true yeah I've, I've done the same thing before and sometimes i'll even do it with things that people say like people will say the most inspiring amazing motivational stuff and it never gets written down and i'm like y'all we gotta save this That's this right. is good it we is can read this like 20 years from now and i'm like you know it might make a difference it's true it really is it's true <laughs> But in your opinion, what would you say is one of the more difficult aspects of writing? And I know you mentioned a little bit about finding time. I know, I know that's difficult to find time to write, but are there things that you find um, just make it a more difficult process or things that hinder you from being able to write? Um, writing itself, other than the time, probably no, because in the end, we do what we want to do, you know, so it's so I'm like, you know, three o'clock in the morning writing or something. So if I'm really inspired, I'll go ahead and write something or I'll take time away from something else. But the hardest thing for me, especially during the pandemic, is the marketing, getting it out there, sharing it because you want to share it. Um, we can't have books, you know, book signings. Well, they're just now starting. I think I'll be at a I'm supposed to do something for the library in a couple of weeks. And then there's a bookstore here in Williamsburg that is very friendly to local authors and might be able to do a book signing there. But this whole last year, we haven't been able to do any of that. Um, so the marketing is hard. You know, you do Facebook and and uh, I have a new website and, and we have um, uh, emails. I mean, that's kind of old, but you know, just trying to get it out there or sharing, uh, like I'll share somebody else's, um, maybe their post and they'll share mine just to get the information out there, do a blog, that kind of thing. So the, for me, the marketing is the hardest part because you just want to, you know, a writer just wants to write. We yeah. don't market. <laughs> I'm not a business person. I don't want to do that. But it is fun to get with people. So if we can connect with people, then, um, that makes it less painful. Yeah. <laughs> I can see how it would be a little bit awkward as a writer to do marketing as well. Because like you said, it's almost like a, a different trade in a way. I remember when I was in a, a club when I was in high school and we did some fundraisers and such and we had to ask people for money to donate. And that's a really difficult thing to do. It's difficult to ask people to donate yeah. to a yeah. cause. If you're in your club, you want to do what you do. And that's just part of the part of the creature, part of the well, they say the animal. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, but uh, the writing part, yeah, and you you mentioned the time, just finding the time. And that's my own fault because I'm over <laughs> over committed. Uh, I've cut back on a few things and I'm still a little overwhelmed, but that's okay. I'm living <laughs> I'm living a full life. Uh, regardless of joys and sorrows, you know, our days are numbered. So I want to, I want mine to be full and they are. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm, I, I love what you just said about how you want them to be full and, and days are numbered because it's, 
It's true. And I'm young right now, but it's definitely something that pops up in my mind every once in a while. If I want to do something and I know it's going to be good and benefit me in the future, I should just do it. I shouldn't keep pushing it back. You should. I want to encourage encourage you to do it. Whatever's on your heart, do it. (laughs) (laughs) One of the questions that have actually become very popular on some of my podcasts is the one that you've actually answered a couple of times now about the pandemic. I'll ask how has the pandemic affected you? Uh, and as, as I said, you've answered that a few times. I can see how it would be difficult to market folks during this time because it's the signings and things of that sort. You just can't do that in person. Yeah. And like I said, two years ago, I had a book tour and it was wonderful. That was two years ago. <laughs> and as an individual, uh, the, the government has all these wonderful free grants and all that but most of them are for organizations not individual writers and i do still have my my um, my teaching so uh i can't say i'm unemployed or you know i don't have food on the table that's not true my husband's retired we're okay but it's harder to, to sell books you know but, yeah but the pandemic itself it's for me i, I guess because i'm older because when i was i'm a social person when i was younger i was pretty um um, I was more introverted. I'm not now, but when I was younger, I was. Um, and so for a lot of people, um, it's just been really, really hard being quarantined. And But I think where I am at this stage in my life, I'm on the computer every day. I have, like, this is my third Zoom today. I taught a class. I met with the publisher. I'm, I'm talking with you. I'm grading uh, papers. I'm, I'm, I'm writing. I, you know, we've got the Poetry Society of Virginia have uh, work to do with that. And like I said, I have a family. Uh, I've lost my son, but I still have my husband and my, my daughter and her husband. I still have my mother, who will be 90 this summer. Oh, isn't that awesome? I said, yeah, that's really cool. I said, keep breathing, Mama, keep breathing. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, a grandson your age. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot going on. We're going to he and I are going to go to Indiana to see my mom as soon as school's out. And then when, then when we get back, he and my husband and I are going to go up to New England and our son's mom is going to stay with the dogs. I mean, it's just, you know, life. My life is very, I said, full. It is full. It's very busy. So I don't have the depression that a lot of people are dealing with from the pandemic, from the quarantine, because I, by choice, have stayed extremely you kept busy. Yeah. And, and, and that's a choice. But then, you know, at night, I'm tired and I plop down in the chair next to my husband and I uh, binge watch BritBox or Netflix or something like that. <laughs> but, um, but I know that for many people, it's, it's just been terrible. You know, people have, I know when I was younger, I would have gone crazy or something because I like to be out and going and doing. So uh, I know it's a challenge, but there are things that we can do to you know, to address it. Do you know, and you have probably read some of these things. Uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the details now, but if you look up like 1000 AD, the, the, during the plague, that's when a lot of classic, classic ancient literature was written because people were quarantined. The, well, the ones who quarantined themselves, yeah. people who were out were dying, but the ones who quarantined uh, wrote voraciously. And so we have what the, the Decameron and all these other stories that 
were written during either a plague or a pandemic or an epidemic, you know. So there are th ways to be productive, even with something terrible going on on Earth. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I'm glad you mentioned that. I had not heard about the literature and poetry being written during that time, but I actually read an article earlier today. Did you? It was saying, yeah, it was saying how a lot of the um, the hobbies that we still do today came around during pandemic times when people were trying to entertain themselves. Yeah, yeah. And just think, they didn't have Zoom, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have TV, radio, nothing. They had each other, they had music, they made, like you said, they made up games, uh, they sang, they, they wrote, <laughs> you know, we're not the first ones. I wrote a, a funny poem uh, called, this is not my first rodeo, about, about <laughs> the beginning of the pandemic, and um, um, I don't have it in front of me, uh, but I, I think it comes out this spring in another literary journal, but I grew up in the 50s when you have all the cowboy shows on TV and everything was about, you know, cowboys and cowgirls and all that kind of stuff. And so I tie in all these cowboy images. And But when I was a kid, uh, there was a polio epidemic and uh, my neighbor had polio and she was in an iron lung and she had braces and all that. And we had measles, we had mumps, there was no vaccine. We, we dealt with all of that. And uh, uh, I had a a girl in the third grade whose father had TB and their home was, there was a sign on their door that said quarantine, do not enter. And, and, and I was thinking about the different events in our life and in, uh, in my generation's life, the things that we have been through and we, and most of us have survived, you know, so this too shall pass. Everything changes. It's, you know, it's a challenge now. There's a lot of heartache, but there are a lot of possibilities and it won't be like this forever. So, but I, but I wish I could remember some of the words in my silly poem because I thought it was funny. Yeah, it sounds like it would be really good. Actually, I grew up watching a lot of Westerns and such too, because we had more of a free, um, not really a cable, just kind of a satellite type TV. So I, I know a lot of the Westerns that you're talking about, yeah. <laughs> or at least some of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, like my brother and I would, uh, uh, we'd, like if we did Long Ranger and Tonto. Well, I was a girl, so I had long hair and I had braids, so I would be Tonto and he would be the Long Ranger. Or if we did Gunsmoke, he was Marshall Dillon and I was Miss Kitty. <laughs> and, you know, oh, this is funny. I think it's funny. I do expect a lot of different literary works to come out um, as a product of this pandemic. It's interesting because I was actually thinking about maybe a week ago, I was thinking about how pre-pandemic I was reading actually maybe closer to two or three years ago but we kind of went through this phase with the YA fantasy where everything was this post-apocalyptic world like everything was the world is ending and this is a new world and this 16 year old girl had to look past her love triangle and save everyone in the world oh my gosh. and that can be scary when you're especially when you're young because you you've got your whole life ahead of you so that's what I want to tell everybody nope this is not it this is not the end <laughs> hang on It'll be interesting to see what some of the new books will be in the next 10 years or so. I definitely think there will be a shift in some of the, the topics that you'll see in the literature. And you mentioned, too, you're right, too. There's a whole lot of writing going on because people are inside. I think um, I read something a week or so ago that 
Uh, there were more books published last year than there have been in several years. So people are writing and, and uh, there will be a record. See, that makes me very excited because I'm, I'm I'll say it right here on the podcast. I'm a book nerd. I'm a bookworm, a book dragon. <laughs> and I'll tell you the truth, collecting books and reading books, to me, those are two different hobbies. I've got a ton of books that I still haven't read yet, but I still keep buying them because I can't good. stop myself. That's good. That's good. You know, the more you read, the smarter you are. The yep. less, and conversely, the less you read, I won't finish that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it, I mean, anything, it could be a comic book or a graphic novel, whatever, you know, just read, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really expands kind of your world to read, even if it's not, um, what is it, nonfiction, I forgot the world for a second, I read fiction books all the time, but even if it's, if it's not nonfiction books, I've learned a lot of stuff from fiction books that I just feel like has um, improved me in some way, like I've learned something from it. That's right. Even if it's not always practical to everyday life. You do. The more you know, the smarter you are. And, and it enhances your life. You know, it enhances your own writing, but also your relationship with other people. You know, the more you know, the more you read, uh, the more well-rounded you are. And it just really helps in every area. So that's a good thing. Yeah. So I'm looking at the the fairies behind you on your wall here, and I know you talked about them a little bit, but one of the things I was wondering is uh, the book that has the fairies in it, and I know you just told me the name of it, but I forgot it. Is that aimed more towards a younger audience? It's it's fixed so it could be um, it could be a picture book for preschoolers, or it could be for early readers. The, the language is very simple, and it's in a poem it's a poem it says first there's poppy so cheery and bright her hair is all yellow oh what a sight and there she is with her wild yellow hair oh. and, it, and it goes on like that so that that's a good question yeah it's so it the range could be two to ten and I've, what's really been fun that i really have enjoyed is getting the feedback from uh people who um you know their daughter or granddaughter or niece or somebody read it and loves the fairies and all that. And in fact, you know, I told you uh, they're multicultural and I have an African-American, well, I'm sure the American fairies are usually Celtic, but anyhow, I have a, uh, a black fairy and I had a man, an African-American man was looking at my book and he bought one for his granddaughter. He said, I've never seen a black fairy and he loved it. And I was so happy, it really touched my heart. But um, there she is singing in the woods. Did my illustrator do a beautiful job? Isn't that sweet? Yeah, she did. That is beautiful. It says she warbles and chants and hums a sweet tune from morning to night in the light of the moon. <laughs> but so it was, um, it was, this was just pure joy. That was fun. And I wanted to bring joy to children. It's just a little more expensive. Children's books are pretty marketable, except uh, like when they have these beautiful illustrations, they're expensive to make. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> But I appreciate you asking about it, but it was just lots of fun. You know, I, I just, like I said, I'm a little bit weird and I just, uh, I'll tell you a quick story and then I'll stop. It was, I was, fine, sitting, you're fine. I was sitting in the, the doctor's office a few years ago and um, 
waiting, 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 waiting. And you know, one does. <laughs> yes, one does. And you know how the light comes through the blinds, and then you'll have all these little tiny dust particles that are shining. Well, I, you know, I don't do drugs or anything. I don't need to. My brain is, is already pretty creative. Uh, and I, I just, like envision this little fairy <laughs> flying around and she got this gosh if you play this people could think i'm crazy anyhow uh then one of her friends joined her and all that so i wrote a poem about her and and that was kind of the the catalyst for the fairy book because i thought it was just so much fun i think little children you know they like fairies they like fantasy i was talking to my husband the other day about you know, when we were little, when our kids were little, and Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and fairies, and, you know, that fantasy is important to children. It helps their creative genius, you know, it helps them, mm -hmm. you know, math and science are, we have to have them, and that's part of it, but so are the arts, you know, we have to have this creative uh, side to, you know, express ourselves and, or to, yeah. you know, to, to take in. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'll say something that might make what you said sound a little less crazy. It, it didn't sound crazy to me anyway, just to tell you. But I've heard from several writers that, and I actually do this a little bit too, when you're writing a book, your characters become like real people in your mind because you kind of have to envision like the scenes that they're in and how they would talk to each other. And it's almost in, in a way like a role-playing game where you don't necessarily become the characters, but they become more human, more alive. So you're they able take to take on a life. They take on a life of themselves. Yeah. It's like these are real little characters. I just keep wanting to say people, they're not people, they're fairies. But they're, they're no, but they feel that way when you're the yeah. writer because you, yeah. you created them and they have like their lives of their own and such in the book. <laughs> but it's fun. I don't want to encourage anybody, uh, everybody to write because I think everybody especially I used to say you might be too young too young now but do you remember the Muppets the I Muppets, do yes you remember the Muppet Babies no. <laughs> well years ago gosh there was a cartoon show and there were Muppet Babies and it's when the Muppets were babies and um I tell my students when they write I want them to tap into that inner Muppet baby you know, because when you're a child, little children are just so open and so uh, alive. expressive. Yes, expressive, alert, creative. They love fairies. They love you know all these things. And sometimes, as we get older, that kind of gets scrubbed out of us, and it shouldn't. We should always have something magical, still a spark of of that in us. You know. And yeah. And so, so that's what I try to tap into. Um, this is fun. <laughs> kind of pulling into you on your um, inner child to write yes. some of this stuff. Exactly, because it's it's there. Too much of it, it like I said, it gets scrubbed away academically mm -hmm. or something. I don't know. Yeah, and people talk about all the time how you should be more mature and you should be so mature when you get to a certain age. But to me, maturity just means making the right choices as you get older making choices that will improve upon your person and other people's lives and help other people out um, i don't think it necessarily means losing all of your joy and your aspirations and your dreams and everything that made you a happy person i don't think that's what maturity should be yeah that's right that's right but do you have anything else to add to our podcast before i wrap it up 
Well, may I hawk my wares? <laughs> I just want to say, uh, my um, I have a new, my publisher helped fix a new website. I had one that was, you know, it was okay, but it wasn't working. And so, <laughs> I have a new website. It's very easy. Jan Hoffman, Jan Hoffman.com. And so, my books are there. I have a few blogs and you know, just some background information. I'm, I'm, I still need to update. It's, I'm still working on it. I still need to get the schedule and uh, some things on there. But, but um, that would, I'd love to have somebody pop in and see me. And my email is on there, my, my writing email. I have my school email, my personal email, and my writing email. So, uh, but I really appreciate you letting me share because this is a, this is a joy that, uh, you know, this is something that gives me joy and I appreciate it so much. Oh, me too. I really enjoyed speaking with you and it's, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast today. I, I love, I loved having you in class and I love talking with you now too. And thank I you. In the future. <laughs> All right. I'm going to wrap up our podcast for Jack of One Trade. Thank you for being here today, Mrs. Hoffman. And I hope you all enjoyed this podcast. Thank you.